0: Acts 2 is where we're turning this morning. Acts 2 and verse 40 is where we'll pick up. This is a message that Peter gave at, chapter 2 rather, is a message that Peter gave at the very beginning, the birthday, if you don't mind, of the church, the first preaching of the gospel in a a post-resurrection, even post-ascension mode or time frame, and he is there preaching in Jerusalem. I won't... Although I'd love to go back to the beginning of the chapter, or starting in Acts, or just all this stuff, but realize that this is the time when Peter is proclaiming the glad tidings of the gospel that Christ is Savior, the one who they killed, whom they killed just seven weeks prior. Jesus was hanging on the cross and then came out of the tomb alive. And now Peter is preaching that gospel to the to the people who were there at, at Passover time, and now back at Pentecost, and uh, worshiping in the in the mosaic way according to the mosaic law. But he says, "Look, there's something bigger going on here, and that is Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ." You can read his his sermon uh, begins earlier in, in this chapter, but I want to look at the aftermath of his sermon and how the power of the gospel changed lives i mean peter of course we could study peter as a character study and realize whoa the guy who who excelled at putting not just one but both feet in his mouth at various occasions to say the wrong thing at the wrong time which isn't a specific trait of his we all do that to varying degrees and we all have words that we'd rather we didn't have said wouldn't have said and yet peter is used of god and he has a brand new experience and role to play in the church, and he is the one to whom Jesus entrusted. Uh, we can go into that. we looked at it a little bit last time matthew sixteen verse 18, 17 and eighteen talks about Jesus giving the keys of the kingdom to to uh, Peter specifically. what does that look like? I mentioned it just for clarification's sake that means partially at least that he is present as the gospel is going forward from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Peter is there to affirm you know, the keys of the kingdom, the authority to open and to shut. And he is there opening the gospel to the successive regions, if you, if you don't mind. In Jerusalem, right, local, and then the region around Jerusalem. And then up to the north, if you looked at the map over there, you could see, uh, well, the Dead Sea. And across from there, to the left of the Dead Sea is Jerusalem, Judea. And to the north of that, the middle section there is Samaria. And then to the uttermost parts of the world is Acts 10. Cornelius in Caesarea Maritime which if you look, you can see it just south of Haifa, the Mount Carmel that pokes into the Mediterranean Sea just down south uh, about six or eight inches and that's where the Peter's there and saying, hey w- w- what am I going to do? Prevent these people who are being baptized by the Holy Spirit Prevent them from being baptized in water and prevent them from joining the church? I mean, that tremendous. So Peter's there and the gospel's going forward. But here is the first time in Acts where we see the gospel going forward. And we see again, as I mentioned, the aftermath of it. What is God doing with the church? Because he said, right, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, my church. This is my body. This is my bride. This is my temple, as we looked at last time. So beginning at verse 40 is where we'll look uh, this morning and uh, we'll look at some specific things about it and then come back and look at it kind of in a thematic or, or organized uh, way, which you have a, a handout in your, in your bulletin if you got one this morning, but it'll be on the screen here in a little bit. Acts 2 and verse 40 says, with many other words, he, that is Peter, solemnly bore witness and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this crooked generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with everybody, with all, as anyone might have need. And daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved tremendously powerful passage here, recognizing wow, the effect that the gospel has on these people's lives, 3,000 people saved on that day, saved and baptized. Peter is here giving a solemn witness to this fact. He is not just speaking off the cuff, he's not just saying it uh, in in a happenstance kind of a way, he is solemnly testifying to this. He is speaking these things with authority, apostolic authority, apostolic being one who is sent out by Jesus Christ himself, and even in that sense, one you know, capital A Apostle, is one who was with Jesus during his earthly ministry and was a witness, eyewitness, not just a witness secondhand, but a a personal first-party eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ and even his ascension. Read about that in Matthew, or excuse me, in Acts chapter 1, how they found a replacement or a successor for Judas, uh, that somebody else must fill his place. Well, here, Peter is solemnly bearing witness. He's testifying to these things. This is a very fervent this is a very serious declaration and it's, pres- it's, it's predicated or, or founded upon a personal knowledge he's not saying that hey i heard this from somebody i think it's reasonable i think it's authoritative no he's saying i was here i saw it i was here in jerusalem and i betrayed jesus he could have gone to that but he was giving attention to jesus who died who was buried and rose again that third day he's he's solemnly solemnly testifying to that fact he, and he says it's not just those words. He's he's using many other words. He kept on exhorting them with many other words. So he, what we have written in Acts twenty or Acts two rather is just kind of a summary, kind of maybe the the first part, the introduction to his sermon, whatever it might be. And because you think, boy, that's a pretty short sermon there for three thousand people to be saved. Uh, there is an economy of words. Well, it says here many other words. He was exhorting the people, and he says, "Be saved, be delivered, get out of this crooked." Um, the word here, crooked, is the idea of um, we have the disease called scoliosis, the, a crooked spine, right? This, that's the idea, crooked or or a kind of distorted uh, situation. And, and Peter here says, this is a perverse, another translation says, I think, maybe King James, says a perverse generation, something that just is an act in the way it should be. Be saved from this this situation. How do you be saved? You believe in the gospel, you look to Christ, is what he's saying here. So the result here in verse 41 is that those who received his word. And notice it says here in verse 41, those who had received his word. And then it says again in verse 44, those who had believed. So receiving and believing is, is similar ideas, parallel ideas of what he's saying here. And it really comes back to the word. It's not affinity for Peter as a preacher. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not to the apostles themselves. Man, it was pretty neat to have an apostle there, Peter and the other, James and John and the other guys were there. Nobody had died yet other than Judas, but he had a successor. But they were believing what they said. They were believing, whoa, you told us about this guy, Jesus. We We heard about him. A lot of those people who were there at Peter's preaching were there seven weeks earlier and maybe didn't you know, to whatever degree they had an interaction with Jesus hanging on the cross and all the events surrounding that wonderful weekend of uh, of his death, burial, and resurrection and so those who received his words said, "Oh, now we understand now we know what Jesus was doing now we get." We can look back to what David, again, I'd love to rehearse Peter's sermon, but he quoted David in Psalm 16 about the Holy One. You will not allow your Holy One to suffer decay or suffer corruption in the grave. Oh, now we get it. And so those who received his word were baptized. They were baptized because that's what Jesus said for believers to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. And so these people, by the way, I think this event happened on the southern part of the Temple Mount, in Jerusalem, probably they were gathered together in the southern section of the temple itself. The temple was still existent at that time, 30, 33 AD, somewhere in there. And the they were probably gathered, the disciples, there were 120 of them or more. And probably in the southern part of that of that temple mount. And probably Peter is preaching preaching that message in Acts 2 and when he mentioned we have David's tomb among us to this day he pointed down the hill and said there's David's tomb we all celebrate it, we all honor it king, the royal tomb, just right down the way and he says Jesus is not there, Jesus is raised up we saw him with our own eyes and we, we have witnessed, we are eyewitnesses of his glory and so at that time these 3,000 people, it says here at the end of verse 41, were saved and baptized. How in your world can you baptize 3,000 people at one time? Because at the southern part of the Temple Mount, there are a whole series, I've not, many more that have been discovered, but uh, several uh, what they call ritual baths or mikvah. Uh, mikvah is a ritual bath used in the Jewish ceremonial process. and And you can read about coming to the temple and, and, and taking off your dirty street garments and, and washing your body and putting on clean, fresh garments. Well, those uh, ritual baths were right there, and so they used them to baptize now in Christ. And so that's how they could accommodate that vast crowd. Verse 42 describes, well, what, what was that assembly like now, this first church of Jerusalem, if you don't mind? It says these four things that they were devoted to, and not just once in a while, but continually devoted to these things. They just made... It, an emphasis in their daily lives, their daily priorities or, or schedule, to fulfill these not obligations or duties, but a duty based out of gratitude and love and admiration for the apostles. Yes, but what they were representing—Christ Himself—devoted to Christ, and so they were they were devoting, uh, prescribing for themselves this uh, this joyful labor. Uh, a, it was difficult, perhaps, to, to do these things because of their other obligations. Some of these were from out of town, even. And yet, they were just enjoying the fellowship, enjoying the teaching, enjoying the, the remembrance of the Lord's Supper, and definitely praying. Here, again, I kind of said it out of order, but he says they were... Luke, the author of, of this account, says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, because that's what it's about. Again, they could devote themselves to the apostles, but... Um, more to what they what they're standing for you remember in Hebrews 13 verse 7 it says remember those who spoke the word of God to you who gave you instruction and considering then the outcome of their faith imitate uh, outcome of their lives imitate their faith imitate what they believe make sure that you listen to what they hear but but even the personality, because preaching is just truth communicated through personality. There are different preachers you've heard, and and some you're more akin to it than others. But it's it's the same truth. It's the truth of God's word. But you have this prophet over here, this apostle, this preacher, whatever. But it's the truth that we're attracted to. It's the truth that we are resonating with, and that's where they what these people were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, especially about Christ and His death, burial, resurrection. But the other aspects of it. It's interesting to read about what Paul as he is establishing churches in pretty rough neighborhoods, of town and regions, and he is speaking about things, boy, we would, we would think that's kind of advanced Christian theology. And he says, no, these people need to know. And it had to do with the return of Christ and judgment that was coming. And he wanted even new, new Christians, even new to the faith, new to the scriptures, new to God in general, they need to know there is a judgment coming. There is Christ who is coming on earth. You be ready for him. And you find joy in serving him. Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the sharing. The fellowship, the root idea of that is sharing. We'll see another specific incident of that uh, a little bit later in this context but the fellowship is the the corporate gathering the the people being together sharing as we read in philippians 2 sharing the same mind being intent on the same purpose sharing even the the same passions or desires of heart this fellowship is is not a burden it's not something that we say oh we've got to do this again it's our life to, to gather together with god's people those who are members of the body of christ those who are ambassadors of that coming kingdom those who are representing a reality outside of this crooked and perverse generation some people that are whole in christ now i know we're still uh, clay pots and we still have issues but but we are heading in the same direction and that that fellowship is so necessary that regular interaction with people and not just uh, by osmosis, while well, we're here with the people, and so we must be sanctified as a result. We need to engage with people. We need to talk and, and serve and uh, look for needs that we can meet and and to be aware of one another. Because we all have needs. We all have uh, physical needs. We all have emotional needs. We just need, we need each other. And so this is part of God's design for his body, the church, to be devoted uh, continually here to fellowship. It says here also the breaking of bread. They were continually devoted to that. The breaking of bread, Uh, generally speaking, could just refer to sharing a meal together. We'll see that more specifically a little bit later. But I think this one is specifically the uh, Lord's table, communion. They were committed to the breaking of that bread and and sharing that uh, remembrance of what Christ had commanded his disciples, his followers to do. Remember me. Remember, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled or shed for you. You remember me and you proclaim my death until I come. How often did they do it? I don't know. Did they do it every time they got together as a congregation? I don't know. Did they do it every Saturday, every Sunday, the Lord's Day as we have it? I don't know. Uh, we do it once a month just by by, uh, by as a regular uh, part of our worship experience. How often did they do it? I don't know. But it was part of their consistent uh, practice, remembering, proclaiming Christ. And we think, well, wouldn't it get kind of old and odd? No, doesn't have to be. I mean, do you get do you get tired of eating breakfast? Well, it's the same old odies, right? Oatmeal and all eat oatmeal. I don't know what you eat. But you, you you enjoy it and you're thankful for it and you will you will um, appreciate what God has provided, especially the Lord's table. Wow, the privilege we have of of not re-sacrificing Christ, but enjoying, remembering what He's done for us. My sin required death, it requires judgment. God and His Holiness has to judge sin. Christ paid my fine. That's what this is remembering. And it says here, there being, they were devoted to the prayers. And you think, oh, which prayers are those? Do we need to have a, a regular, uh, you know, a prayer book or, or a calendar of prayer? Here it's translated, the prayers, many times in Scripture. Uh, and some, a lot of times it uses the article, the. A lot of times it doesn't. Probably more times it does specifically have that article. Uh, sometimes it's singular, the prayer, or the prayers, plural, the point is pray talk pray together pray separately pray uh, to god pray with thanksgiving pray with uh, lament pray with uh, uh, supplication interceding for this or you know Herod or or Pilate or those those uh, guards who crucified Jesus pray for for whatever situation pray to god and find him as the answer to our prayers find him as the solution the the uh, one who is working in these things not just for our convenience, not just for our happiness and joy, but for his glory. He is doing things for his um, for his glory. And so we recognize here that the result of even that devotion to the to the teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking bread and prayer, great fear came upon every soul. Fear, which is to say the fear of God, a holy reverential awe, a kind of a tendency to want to wanna, shrink back from the, the majesty that is here on display this is God in his glory revealing these wonderful things to us this is these things that are going on with the apostles we've never seen this before speaking in tongues in languages we understand right that and we thought well they're drunk people no this is, always, this is what Joel said back in, in Joel 2 that no it's a fulfillment of that partial fulfillment we'll see more of that later in, in, even later to us in our time but recognizing God is at work God is at work in our midst, and so great fear came upon these people. I've referenced Exodus 20, verse 20, many times about the people who had fear. They were afraid. They were trembling. They were terrified because of the revelation of God. And Moses said, do not be afraid. Do not be, you know, tending to want to shrink back from God's presence. He says, God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him. Wait a minute. I thought don't be afraid. Well, yes, in that sense, but in the fear, the, the substantial fall on your face and worship God kind of fear. You give honor to him. He wants the fear of him to remain with you so that you may not sin. When you come and have an understanding of who God is, and you say, well, that's nice, God. I appreciate who you are and everything. And then we turn to the side and we start worshiping idols of whatever situation, condition it is. Where's that fear of God that we have? You know, when you're about to engage in some activity, that you know you you wouldn't do if you know somebody else was watching. Well, I'm, I know nobody else is watching, right? So you go and and sneak in and get some ice cream. Or, wrong, not naughty of you. I don't get that. No, get the ice cream, enjoy it. But in proper context, all these things. But when we're engaged or about to engage in a sin, we recognize nobody's watching. What? You're mistaking somebody. Very important. God is here. God is watching, with love and concern for us and saying, why why is that person going over to the right or to the left when I am life to them? Why are they turning away from me, the fountain of living waters? And they are, Jeremiah 2 or Jeremiah 3 talks about these people who, they cut for themselves cisterns in, in rock that cannot hold water, and they, they fill it up, and then it, it just goes away. The water doesn't last. They try to find life apart from Christ. Finding God as our sufficiency, as our we are ultimately and intensely devoted and dependent upon him, this is great fear. This is honoring, worshiping God. The people, Christian people, recognize that, but even outside the the congregation, those who are watching these things going on, didn't have a uh, relationship with Christ at this point, but they were recognizing, whoa, God is at work in those people. We don't understand it. Maybe they had a little clue because they're mostly Jews at that time and they have a, some background in the Bible. And yet, this whole thing, they were ignorant. They didn't understand. They didn't put two and two together and get Christ recognizing that. So great fear, great uh, awe, great worship came upon these people. We'll see it again later in Acts uh, uh, 5 when Ananias and Sapphira both died. Great fear came over all who heard of these things that were going on. Again, in, in chapter 5, great fear came upon over the whole church and all who heard of these things. Great fear. We think, well, fear is a bad thing. No, not if it keeps you from sinning. Not if it gives leads you to give proper worship and honor to him. Not if it leads you to trust more heartily in his word. Fear is a good thing. Well, great fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And boy, I wish we could have some of those things. Wonders and signs often accompanied or attended the apostles. We also saw them in relation to prophets. Moses uh, had these wonders and signs. Remember, hey, take your hand, put it in your cloak, pull it out. It's leprous. Ah, put it back in. It was you know, whole. It was wonderful. Those kinds of signs and wonders, short story is, they confirm or show or prove the authority of the messenger. Hey, this is somebody. He's not saying these things by his own power. He's doing supernatural things going you know, that are going on there now much more could be said about it, but when Paul says like at 2 corinthians where is that twelve and verse twelve he says the signs of an of the true apostles uh, a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles so apostles are those who had that that uh, ability to work those wonderful supernatural things now You have to be careful with those things because in the last days, Jesus says in Matthew 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead if possible, even the elect, Matthew 24 and verse 24 says that. And so we thought, wait a minute, aren't these signs and wonders to confirm God's messengers? Well, yes, but you know, Satan is a counterfeiter. He is from the beginning. He's a liar. He likes to steal from God. And he says, I can do what God does. And so he uses those similar things in a, in a broken and twisted way to try to convince people to follow him. Well, don't. That's why, to the law and to the testimony, go back to God's word. You measure, even a prophet has to stand up his message. Okay, you've got all these signs and wonders looking now what you, What's your message? The signs and wonders kind of get you in the door. I'll listen to you, but wait, what's your message? And if the message agrees with the Bible, then you can listen to him. If the message is... is, is is kind of looking at the Bible kind of askance and kind of twisted in a little way? No, you don't accept that word. Watch out for these things. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 9 says a similar thing about the activity of Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. They will come with all power and signs and false wonders. So be careful with those things. All that to say is signs and wonders accompany the apostolic age in the first century confirming the words that these apostles were saying. And I believe and, and teach that The signs and wonders don't carry on into our present age. They'll be resumed in that future time when uh, Satan is uh, deceiving a whole generation, whole world that is alive at that time. And yet now we should not expect those things. What we should expect is confirmation of the truth. We should expect, if you don't mind, a rather sublime, a rather uh, underrated perhaps supernatural event that happens every day around the world, and that is Salvation to be born again. That is that's something nobody can do. That is a supernatural act. That's an act of God. And we think, "Oh, that's really nice. I'm glad you were saved." Excuse me, we just saw a confirmation of the truth. That person got saved. I remember a preacher years ago who was involved with uh, youth ministry and some kids in the church got saved and the high school counselor came to him and says, "Tell me about this this boy because he was a troublemaker, he was not good student, not good not good news." And the High school public school counselor said he's gotten saved, hasn't he? And the pastor said, "Well, yes. As a matter of fact, he has." And then she went to another example over here, and and she's gotten saved too, hasn't she? Because the confirmation of the truth, it's a changed life, the supernatural uh, outworking of God's gospel in these people's lives. That's what we should look for and expect in our day. Verses forty-four and forty-five go on and describes further this congregation, all those who had believed. Again, those received. Those who received the gospel, they were together. They were uh, doesn't mean necessarily say they lived in the same place and became a a Christian commune, but it says and it kind of acts kind of sounds like it here in this verse. They had all things in common. Again, that uh, coming off that r- root word of fellowship or sharing or uh, having things uh, in common, as it says here, and they began selling their property and possessions. Probably a combination of of land holdings and just personal effects that they had. Uh, maybe some jars or jewelry or whatever they had. So they sold both, you know, large ticket items and smaller things, and they were dividing it up. Impartially, very important. James talks about being impartial in our kindness and showing uh hospitality to anybody, but they were dividing it up with all as anyone might have need. You think, but that kind of sounds like Karl Marx and Marxist communist thought well he got it from this bible and it's not it's not a forced thing it's a joyful thing hey you have a need i have i have extra i have surplus to this i will share it with you we see by the way unless we think oh now this is we should be a communistic society now later in acts 5 remember the whole thing about ananias and Sapphira. actually before that acts 4 remember that guy uh joseph um Barnabas uh, is there, Cypri- Cypriot, the guy from Cyprus. He sold a piece of property, and he presented the, the money to the apostles. Any which way you want to spend, spend this, distribute it, it's fine. But in Acts 5, when Ananias, An- Ananias and Sapphira did the same thing and kept some back for themselves, which was fine, right? Peter said, it was your property to begin with, and when you sold it, wasn't the proceeds of that sale. That was your stuff. That was private property. It's yours to manage. What was wrong is not that they, they gave a portion of it but that they claimed and they lied. No, everything, the whole proceeds of the sale, we gave to y'all. Because they were afraid or, or concerned about their reputation. Hey, we, we see that Joseph got a you know good accolades in the back, so we want that same recognition. But keeping some back for themselves, it wasn't wrong for them to keep some of their property that they own and manage and are stewards of, but to, to lie to the Holy Spirit, that was an evil act, and they were judged for it severely. And think, boy, wouldn't we like some of that judgment not on me, but on the other persons, those who get away with their wickedness. And and wouldn't we like God to just strike them down dead and wouldn't great fear, wouldn't wouldn't we love great fear to come on all the nation? God is so merciful because what we pray for others, they're praying for us, right? That we would be convicted of our sin and that we would change and and repent and and change. Well, here we see that these people were sharing whatever needs they had. Again, I think I mentioned it last time or another time that, that one of the effects of Jewish people believing in Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, is they were cast out of the synagogue. We can't have people like you in our system, in our experience. You're you're cast out of the synagogue. You're not welcome to gather with us. And part of the the implication of that is that being cast out of the synagogue means they can no longer buy and sell in the Jewish marketplace. You you're you can't get this stuff. You've got to go elsewhere to, to buy your food and, and whatever household items you need, you can't buy it from us. And so there was a great need as these people were being cast out of the synagogue and, and were suffering rejection, even like Jesus said, your your father, your mother will you know, households will be disbanded because of different uh, affection toward me. And so there's a lot of need, a lot of very practical need, a place to live, something to eat, something to cover your nakedness. And so these Christian people were providing for those extreme needs. And then as it went on, Acts 6 talks about the daily distribution and all that. And then on on top of those things, a famine came upon Jerusalem a little bit later. And so Paul is very active in bringing money back to the Jerusalem church to help in those ways. But the point is, hey, look for needs. Meet the needs. Whatever you have available to uh, to you, use it in the service of other people. Verse 46 says, They were daily devoting themselves with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So they were, as I mentioned, together in the temple, worshiping as a, as a congregation. And it says daily, according to the day. Each day they were doing these things, not just on a Saturday or Sunday. Sabbath. Meet, Saturday being the Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath. We talk about the Lord's Day on Sunday, the first day of the week. And it seems like as, as the church kept meeting, that it, the, tra- the meeting time transitioned from a Saturday to a Sunday. Even in Acts 20, at the beginning of that chapter, it talks about when Paul is there with the people. They were meeting on a Saturday night, probably after the Sabbath day. And it was getting late. And remember, Eutychus fell asleep in the window and fell down dead, or they picked him up dead. And Paul says, don't worry, he's fine. And he was, and he went on and preached until dawn. That's, that's my kind of preacher, right? That's that's all right. And yet they were meeting on a Saturday, I think, and probably as the Saturday was was beginning, turning into Sunday and, and through the next day and the Lord's Day, and then he took leave with him and went on his way. But they were meeting together. They were, they were devoting themselves to one another with one accord again, not the car, you know, accord, but having that same mind or mentality, the same purpose, the same desires and passions, uh, being motivated by the same thing. It's just, it, it's so encouraging to be with people who don't need to be prodded. Hey, love the Lord. Hey, read his word. Hey, pray. Hey, do this. It's so refreshing and just delightful to be with people who, who unanimously, spontaneously want to praise the Lord and draw near to him and, and pray and, and talk about him. That's what these people are doing. What a delightful Uh, season in the church life that we see here in Acts chapter 2. wherever they were, in the temple or from house to house, breaking bread. I think this, by the way, is not the Lord's table, but just meal fellowship from house to house. Breaking bread, sharing a meal together from house to house. The verse goes on and says they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Wow! They enjoyed being together. It wasn't a burden. Oh, we've got to go be with that people. Weren't we with them last year? Oh, yeah, but we have... No, it's a joyful celebratory time a a glad-heartedness and a sincerity a sincerity which is to say without any kind of misgivings or resentment or uh, regret or anything no it's just a a glad-hearted joyful being together taking their meals together as we have opportunity today so please take advantage and it says they were praising god and having favor with all the people so praising god recognizing wow this is so tremendous and we had some of this kind of back in the synagogue days, but so much better because now our, the veil has been lifted and we see Christ and his glory. We see the power of the gospel changing lives and changing hearts. Praise God. And it says they had favor with all the people. So a good reputation. They had uh, a good testimony, we would say. it, And that's spoken of in various places throughout the, the scripture. This guy had a good testimony. We'll see it in relation to the the seven who were chosen in Acts 6, uh, the seven who were chosen to be in charge of the daily distribution, they need to have a good reputation. It's also spoken about in 1 Timothy 3, having a, and Titus 1, having a good reputation with those who are outside, outsiders. What's what's this testimony like out there? Well, the testimony of these people, it was good. All the people around didn't understand it, probably thought these guys were crazy, what are you doing going away from the synagogue? Where You're, you're disobeying with the Pharisees and the rabbis? You're, you're going out on your own? Yes, because this is what the Pharisees missed. They don't understand this. They understand works, self-righteousness, but they don't understand what Christ has done for us. Let me tell you what Christ has done. And so they, these people were, were kind of skeptical, and yet they had favor. They regarded these people with, with some measure of, of appreciation. That changed, of course, as time went on and there was persecution and, and uh, animosity as our Lord uh, prescribed. And in verse 47 says, The Lord was adding to the number. So, on, on top of those 3,000 initial believers, more, more, daily new people coming into the faith, those who are being saved. Who's adding? It's the Lord. How are they being added? What's the, what's the work of the apostles in the whole church? Share the gospel. But it's the Lord who brings the increase, right? He's the one who brings the fruit. The Lord was adding to their number, so growing that church in Jerusalem, three three thousand initial believers, and who knows how many by the end of this that season, until of course the persecution began with. Well, it happened early with the apostles, with the Sanhedrin bringing them in and flogging them and so forth. But then in Acts 7, the death of Stephen, and and then Acts, 1, Acts 8, verse 1, Saul just began ravaging the church and just delivering all kind of people to the high priest so they'd be punished and, and uh, arrested and sometimes killed because of their devotion to Christ. Well, looking back at these, uh, these verses uh, just in a summary fashion, what are characteristics of the first church and, if you don't mind, not a not a prescription, but a an example for us as a 21st century church. We can't reconstitute recon, re, uh, or restore a lot of what that first church experience was like. We don't have an Apostles. I'm not an Apostle. But we have the apostolic word, right? Ephesians 2.20 says the church is founded on the Apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone of the church. And so we give attention to their word, but we... Uh, learn from them. We we carry on the tradition, if you don't mind, from the, from the apostles. Well, there are different, four different categories. I kind of summarize these ideas, and you have it on your handout, and if you don't, um, there are a couple more on the back table, and I'll bring some more next time. But worship and prayer. Worship and prayer are characteristics of the first church. And we'll look at some specific examples here in just a moment. Priority of the word is a key element. The priority of the word. Authentic community is a third uh, characteristic and evangelistic fruit worship and prayer the part of the word authentic community and evangelistic fruit under worship and prayer again looking back over these passage this passage worshipful wonder it says and fear came upon every soul that's that's fall down on your face and worship praising god we praise god we we describe his beautiful attributes to him we we say you are beautiful you are beyond description we can't even begin to understand who you are i mean the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of god whoa amazing devotion to the breaking of bread that is an act of worship worshiping christ our risen king the one who died in our place whoa continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread a devotion to prayer which is recognizing i'm empty. I am totally dependent upon God. I cry out to God. I cry, I thirst for Him. Right? Psalms. You ever wonder, uh, I can't find anything in Scripture that really is my voice, is my experience. You ever read the Psalms? I mean, There are these mountaintop experiences, there's these depths of despair kind of experience, there's mourning my own sin experiences, angry at other people, these violent wrongdoers, law, law breakers out there. Any kind of human experience you can find in the Psalms. Well, recognizing as the deer pants for the water brook. So my soul pants for God, for the living God. I want him. And so praying to him, the priority of the word here, devotion to the apostles teaching. Again, it's not just the apostles. Hey, I'm of, I'm of, uh, you know, I'm a Petrine follower or I follow James or John or hey, have got that guy, Thomas. He's my man because he's the doubter and I got troubles. And, you know, I'm like Thomas. No, it's their message. You can appreciate who they are, the different people. I mean, God works in all kind of, cracked pots, but, but it's what they're teaching. The teaching is what we give attention to. They were speaking God's word with passion. Remember how Peter is solemnly testifying and kept on exhorting them with many, many words. So speaking God's word, not just um, reluctantly or, or kind of uh, milk-toasty, but with passion, with, with an ur- a sense of urgency, a sense of recognizing this is the only message that's going to really help you. And you can go out and, you know, eat good food and exercise and sleep and all that'll help you somewhat. But this message is life We tell you about it. And so speaking God's word with passion, a quick obedience and testament, not just speaking the word, but then obeying it yourself. Pastor, I went just yesterday to the funeral of up in Michigan. He said a good description of a Bible church is not just one who a church where the gospel is preached or the Bible is preached, but one where the gospel or the Bible is obeyed. Do we have a quick obedience, a delightful, that's what God's word says, I want to do it. I want to do what he says. I want to be at peace. I want to be speaking wholesome, life-giving words. I want to be patient. I want to be all these things. So quick obedience and a testimony, having a reputation outside, having confirmation of the truth. Again, I mentioned about signs and wonders, the, the sign of resurrection, of regeneration. That's what we want to see, a confirmation. God's word works. We don't become pragmatic and say, well, it works, so we're going to believe it. No, we believe it, and it works. We do what he says. It's amazing. Authentic community. Remember he said 3,000 believers or people who received his word were added to the church? Who counted, and what are they added to? They're added to a local body, an identifiable group of people. Those who had received his word were baptized, baptized into that local assembly. They and we'll talk about that maybe even next week, about the importance of church membership. We think, well, where is that in scripture? Well, okay, we'll see it next week. Come come back. Devotion to fellowship. They were devoting themselves to just sharing life together, sharing words, sharing time, sharing memories, sharing hopes and joys and so forth. They were meeting each other's needs. They were sharing and, and uh, you know, what, hey, you have a need over that? I've got this. You need this tool. You need this time. I've got, you know, I will help you in that way. So meeting each other's needs. A consistent single-mindedness. Devoting themselves with one accord. Accord being very desirous of thinking the same thing. Not to say that we're all becoming uh, just one person, and well, if we're all one person, why don't just be me, right? No, not don't be me. We are a large group of, of, or a body. And remember how 1 Corinthians 12 describes the body. Diverse members, each one has a unique contribution and a role to play in the congregation. But we want to be under the headship of Christ, not all being you know the head, the hand is do, the right hand is doing this thing over there the left hand is doing this thing over there the feet we don't even know what they're doing and no be under the head being intent on the same purpose under the Lord a consistent single mindedness and a glad hearted I mean, not a not a burdensome thing oh we need to oh, keep on looking at our watch and we say I can't I, mean, I got this to do I got that to do I need to get out here enjoying one another. Finally, evangelistic fruit, two ideas under here, a favorable, having a favorable testimony, a reputation with outsiders, uh, which is what they said in verse 47. And then to see growth, numerical growth by conversion. God adding to their number daily those who are being saved. We want to be faithful in sharing the gospel. God will give the increase. God will bring people in, and he will convert people he will lead them to life which is in Christ and so we remember we look at these characteristics which we want to see here in this church we want to see worship and prayer we want to see the priority of the word authentic community evangelistic fruit as we are faithful before the Lord to see him blessing and helping us to just give outrageous just tremendous thanks to him for his kindness and working in our midst well let's pray our father in heaven we're so grateful for the local church we're grateful for the fellowship that we have, certainly based on the apostles' teaching, the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and especially even more so the gospel of Christ Jesus, the one who died in our place and rose again the third day and promised. He promised he's coming again for us, and please help us to be ready and expectantly waiting for him, striving for his, his kingdom to come on earth your will to be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Please help us to be uh, so in love with you, so much realizing that your uh, word is true, it is powerful, it is something that we want to give our attention to as a local body, but also individually as we have uh, individual times to draw near to you, draw near to your word and pray and have this worshipful wonder before you, exercise complete and utter dependence upon you, and to speak your word with passion to strive to to live at peace with other people, especially, of course, in the church, but even outside, and that you would give the increase, that you would bring uh, saved lives and sanctified lives as a result of our work for you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for an extended time this morning with uh, a lunch, and we're grateful for your uh, work in our lives. You've not left us as orphans. You've not abandoned us. Uh, you are faithful. us to be faithful to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.